Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Since the fall of man, a war has raged between good and evil. Over the centuries, this war has distorted the truth. Now the truth is perceived as lies, and lies acknowledged as truth. To this day, the battle continues as we investigate and debate the truth behind the history and mystery of the universe. We are Paratruth Radio. Hospitals. The majority of the population doesn't like them. They can be scary places. The people who check in can't wait to get out. But there are some who, after they arrive, never leave, even after death. Such is the case behind a book called The World's Most Haunted Hospitals. Now Paratruth presents The World's Most Haunted Hospitals with special guest... Richard Estet. What's up, folks? My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And you are listening to Paratruth Radio on the one and only Paratruth Radio Network. Hope everyone is having a wonderful day. We are listening to the Ghostbusters song. But let me tell you, if you can't count on the Ghostbusters, you can count on us. I do believe when we first started Night Stalkers, we did have a thing that said, Night Stalkers. When it we did. <laughs> oh, that was so corny, but it was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, it has been a crazy week. Indeed. Last week of school for me, which is awesome. Right. Uh, I'm sure you've been busy working yeah. your butt off. Yeah, it's uh, it's just been one of those weeks as always. So I do enjoy that we get to do this and have our listeners join us every week so that uh, they can enjoy either our pretty faces, which mine is not on this week because of stupid webcam issues. but Or he forgot to apply it. Well, yeah, I forgot to apply my face. It, it happens. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a week. And, uh, it has been. A lot of stuff coming up, you know, we've got the reveal coming up soon. Uh, hopefully within the near future, my book as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, Jerry is back now with Paratruth Radio Network with Tiger Girl for God Radio. And Eric is back this week for Paratruth Radio. And hopefully for the rest of the summer. I was going to say remainder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If not forever, but we'll see. So, uh, and depending on what happens, Eric and I might be doing a live show together when uh, he's here in July, give or uh, take 
couple days. Uh, yeah. So definitely stay tuned for that as well because we will be in the same room at the same time and who knows what will happen. Indeed. I might push his buttons like these right here if you're watching YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what's come over me. I'm sorry. Ignore that I even said that or if you're watching YouTube that I even did that. <laughs> I, I don't want you guys to ignore it. As a matter of fact, email <laughs> us and tell us what you think. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, before it gets any more out of hand, <laughs> today we have another special guest with us. His name is Richard Estep. He is the author of The World's Most Haunted Hospitals. Man, here's something about hospitals. I'll tell you, if you didn't listen to the intro, which you probably did if you're listening to us right now, um... They're good places, right? They are. They're there they're, they're to help us, to, to help us get healthy, to help us get stronger. Whenever something bad happens uh, physically to us, they're the, the people there that work there are there to help us. Um, or so they want you to believe. Indeed. But nonetheless, they're scary places. Why? Well, there's the atmosphere in general. Uh, a lot of sick people, you know, and it's a scary thing to be around a lot of sick people. Plus, the majority of us have very negative uh uh, memories uh, of hospitals because again we only go there when we're sick we only go in there when we're hurt um, unless you work there in which case you're a crazy person I'm kidding you're not crazy unless you're working at a mental hospital in which case it may be um, that was terrible I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's one thing that uh, we can all agree on once once those places are abandoned, uh, no matter what perspective you come from, there's a lot of neg- negative energy that hangs around that place. Whether you think that uh, there's human spirits there, demonic presence, whatever the case may be, a lot of these places go into disrepair, especially the older ones. There was a lot of mistreatment. You know, There's been a lot more going on nowadays with uh, patient laws and regulations and all that. So you think of the, the hurt and turmoil, if you believe in human spirits, that somebody went through and it just carries on into that, into that afterlife, if you will, because they don't cross over or whatever the case may be. Uh, same on the other side from, from a Christian's perspective, Demons feed on that negativity, so of course they would. If it, if it's demons that are actually haunting these places, why they would congregate in these places of pain and suffering? Right, absolutely. But we can find out a lot of that information and more upcoming in this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> and without further ado, though, we do have Richard on the line. I did forget to do this for them. <laughs> So many, so many, and you missed uh, so many already. <laughs> but uh, we do have Richard on the line, so without further ado, uh, I almost said without further ado, but, <laughs> oh, folks, without further ado, let's go to the line with Richard Estep. Hey, Richard, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. How are you doing this evening? I am doing very well this evening. It's a lovely Colorado sunset going on outside my window. How about your good self? Oh, well, it's a little gray over here, so not as colorful. Yeah. <laughs> gray makes me feel at home. Is it by any chance gloomy and perhaps raining? Uh, you know, not today, but that came through last night, so... 
Yeah. <laughs> gloomy, gloomy's not my favorite thing. Gloomy makes me feel homesick from time to time. Uh, I'm sure because uh, I'm sure that uh, England is always rainy, at least from what I hear, anyways. <laughs> That's the stereotype, and it's more, it's true more often than not, I think. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, Richard, the one thing I, w- I would like to do before we actually get into any questions in the actual interview is just give you a moment to let everyone know who you are, perhaps where they can find you, uh, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Certainly. Uh, my name is Richard Estep, and you can find me on the web at richardestep.net. Uh, that's Richard E-S-T-E-P dot net. Uh, I'm a paranormal investigator of 20 years standing. Uh, make my living as a paramedic and clinical educator and clinical chief uh, and uh, do a lot of education outside of that role too. Uh, and uh, I'm also an author and like to write about the uh, cases I investigate over the course of my career. All right. All righty. Well, uh, we had you on, well, I should say I had you on, uh, for In Search of the Paranormal. Eric was absent that day. Um, but, uh, what made you wanted to, to do the book, uh, The World's Most Haunted Hospitals? Well, it seemed really like a natural intersection of what I do for a living and, um, my, my paranormal research hobby. I mean, I visit a lot of hospitals. The paramedics tend to do that, right. and I've got <laughs> and I've gotten a lot of stories from uh, fellow responders, uh, from people that work in those hospitals. It's kind of amazing. We're a very scientifically driven profession, but we're also at that intersection of life and death. And I think that when you get medical professionals usually off the record um, to talk about this kind of thing, they've got some of the most incredible experiences to share. Mm-hmm. Well, then I guess I'm, I'm not even, you know, I'm just going to go right to it. Have you yourself had any experiences uh, that you'd like to share with us or could share with us? Not while working um, as a paramedic, believe it or not. And, and part of the reason of that is I think that I'm usually so focused on patient care. Um, well, that's good. That's, that's good yeah, thing. always a plus. <laughs> that's a very handy thing. But I will say that the majority of my sources for this book actually came from nurses and physicians, uh, folks that work in hospitals or uh, on a more permanent basis, whereas of course paramedics and EMTs spend, tend to spend more of their time either on the on the on the road, mm-hmm. or they're on an emergency scene for a, a short period of time. All right. Well, I was looking through the book today, and uh, you've got some really interesting places here. Uh, the one that st- stuck in my mind was actually chapter one asylum 49 and i'll tell you why uh because of the shrouded fi- uh i don't know what you would call them figures or or whatever they are uh and it's really that's like one of the creepiest things i've actually ever seen can you tell us a little bit about asylum 49 well i should and and i have to declare an area of self-interest here because my next book, which is out in August, is called The Haunting of Asylum 49. Oh. <laughs> and and it, ex- yeah, it examines this case in more detail. And the reason that I can speak about that in more depth is that 
after I'd written World's Most Haunted Hospitals and had spent uh, an evening at Asylum 49, I was, I was a little disappointed, to say the truth, because it was a very active location, or so I'd been told, but very little happened to me and my two fellow researchers when we were there. And I talked to the owner, and this is an old hospital that is um, next to a graveyard just outside Salt Lake City and backs onto a retirement home. And the owner said, you know, we're sorry you had a, a quiet night. The problem is you came in the springtime. And we're a Halloween haunted house, so we're at our most active. We're absolutely buzzing with paranormal activity in October and the run-up to Halloween. You should come back then. And so I thought about it, and I said, you know, that makes total sense, but um, it's quite a long trip from Colorado to Salt Lake by road. It's, it's just about a 1,000 miles round trip door to door. I said, if I come back at Halloween, bring a team with me, can I move in for a week? And then they said, sure. So I very much enjoyed that. Um, they, they said, basically, we'll open the place up to you. There's no cell here. There's no pitch. Come in with your team and find what you can. And so I did. Uh, and I decided to do things a little bit differently. So I brought in not only my, my team of paranormal investigators uh, from Boulder County Paranormal Research Society um, and a couple of sister teams, but I also brought in some paramedics and nurses with me to help um, get the atmosphere where I wanted it to be. And it was a very busy week. Huh. Now, investigating, is that something you've always been interested in, or is it just something that's kind of built over time, uh, going in and out of hospitals and just hearing stories from time to time? Well, I've enjoyed ghost stories from a very young age, um, Mm -hmm. and I do like reading them on the page, and I think there are are a lot of readers out there that enjoy... um, reading books about the paranormal from the comfort of their armchair and they really have no desire to step foot in a, in a haunted location at all. Uh, right. And then on the other hand, you get those people and I'm one of them that likes to go behind the scenes and, and kind of experience the place for themselves. And I think there's really no substitute for being on site, in the dark, in those locations, feeling the energy and feeling the atmosphere and having those experiences yourself. Right. So uh, one question that uh, actually a a listener had asked when I announced the show uh, for this week was uh, what type of hospital seemed to be more haunted than others? Uh, Because, I mean, you hear about the old insane asylums, you know, the old TB hospitals, regular hospitals, uh, because here in good old North Dakota, don't you know, we have a hospital that was turned into a TB hospital, and it says to be haunted. So uh, from your research and what you guys found, what was more haunted than others, or was there? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you should bring that up. I think it seems far and away that the front runner is the, the insane asylum. Uh, the mental health care facility, as it's more appropriately termed in modern times. Mm. Um, and those also were, I think... Uh, some of the more aggressive, perhaps belligerent uh, activity. So certainly I visited community hospitals and, and just pure uh, across-the-board hospitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did visit Waverly Hills, uh, perhaps the king of all um, tuberculosis sanatoriums, and ha- had a surprisingly quiet night there, although it was most enjoyable, and uh, the owners, the Massingleys, gave us a very warm welcome. Um, they didn't make it into the book, uh, mainly because that was the, the request of the owners. You know, Waverly Hills has a great haunted history, but far and away, if you go to the insane, uh, the insane asylums, that's where you tend to find a great deal of paranormal activity taking place. Right. And I have a theory about why. I think it's the fact that you had such miserable conditions in some of those institutions 
uh, particularly when you look back to the uh, 19th century uh, and the early 20th century, and even up, I think, until the the mid or uh, let's say the 70s, 80s, you had some pretty horrific 20th century conditions in those facilities too, and that leaves some kind of psychic scar, I believe, on the atmosphere. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, has your focus um, or has your research focused on uh, hospitals that have been abandoned only or have you kind of did some research on hospitals that are active right now where people are in and out every single day but yet still seem to, to, uh, you know, have or witness some pretty rough paranormal activity? That's a great question. The the title of the book, The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, actually wasn't Mm -hmm. mine. I'd I'd wanted to write a book that was called Haunted Hospitals and Bless my publisher, they wanted it to be the world's most haunted hospitals. Um, <laughs> and the, the only issue with that that I can see is that it's tough to nail down how you would define what is the most haunted. You know right. what I mean? Because you've got hospitals that experienced just a single case of a haunting that, that was very active for a long period of time. And a good example of that would be St. Thomas's in London on the banks of the, the River Thames facing the Houses of Parliament. Uh, St. Thomas's has been very actively haunted by a grey lady now for um, uh, almost a hundred years. Generation after generation of doctors, nurses and staff there have seen her and reported her activity. Um, so that's a very well documented haunting. And uh, it's a famous ghost. It's believed to be the, the spirit of Florence Nightingale, one of the, the mothers and founders of the nursing profession. So you've got that, and then on the other hand, you have places that are no longer standing, but you've got uh, hundreds of incidents, but not consistently. So I wanted to to basically put out a sampling, a buffet, if you will, uh, looking at all of those types. So we go from some of London's oldest traditional hospitals, uh, one that's associated with um, a university. Then we go to um, one of Australia's insane asylums. We look at old military hospitals, an American uh, airbase for example. Um, and then we just kind of bounce around through those types. And I wanted to give a good cross-section of the, the many and various examples out there. Mm-hmm. It was tough. It was tough picking which ones would go in. There really should be a world's most haunted hospitals, too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, doing, doing the international uh, research on all this... Was there one specific country that had more hauntings as well as, like we were saying about specific hospitals? Was there one co- uh, country that had more specific hauntings than the others? Yeah, as far as the hospitals were concerned. Well, I, I looked at the majority within the U.S., but pu- that's purely a function, I think, of, of population and um, the sheer number of them, you know? Okay. And, and mo- what's interesting is, too, that here in the U.S., more and more of them are falling into private hands. Right. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but again, you mentioned Asylum 49 earlier on. That was a um, functioning community hospital until the very beginning of the 21st century. Okay. Um, although it had made some TV appearances. In fact, if you saw Stephen King's The Stand, the miniseries, mm-hmm. yep. it played, it stood in for the Boulder Community Hospital in oh, that okay. uh, yeah, which ironically is a real hospital that I take patients to, <laughs> um, and they look nothing alike. Uh, but but that um, basically just lapsed into disrepair, and once that was done, private owners came along, saw the potential to do something different with it, mm-hmm. you know, and um, uh, pretty much snapped it up. And you see that increasingly across the country. And some of those hospitals are now being protected and renovated by historical societies, groups of volunteers. 
Um, and so it's kind of a way of keeping history alive. And when you keep history alive, the ghosts seem to stick around. Mm. Right. Well, I, I, I've heard stories and I've read books on uh, haunted hospitals as well. No, uh, you haven't. I, no, no you haven't. All right. All right. So that's what I got to deal with uh, on a daily basis. Um, but, but I've read, you know, different stories on, uh, on hospitals that are haunted, and a majority of the stories that I read, uh, it, they differ, but the majority tend to be kind of negative hauntings. Mm-hmm. Now, within your research, have you noticed that a lot of the hauntings are negative, or is there a you know pretty decent balance between what is a negative haunting and what is considered, an, I guess, a good haunting? So th- there is a balance, and you're right. There, there is a great deal of negativity, particularly in the mental um, health institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, Although if I'd spent 20 or 30 years in one of those abandoned and forgotten by society, I'd be pretty negative and aggressive too. Yeah. So, so part of me wonders that if a lot of what we perceive as negative activity isn't simply the frustration and the end product of the way that some of these people were treated during their lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very easy in the paranormal research field. I mean, you hear words like demonic and dark entity bandied around very easily and very frequently. Um, but the truth of it is, when you look at the way some of these um, entities manifest, I think a lot of them appear to be venting. A lot of them appear to be um, reacting to the, the the grave injustices some of them were the victims of during their lifetime. And so definitely you did have that. Again, at, at uh, Asylum 49, one of my researchers on her first ever case scratched. Uh, three very long, deep scratches running down the length of her back from her shoulder blade. Uh, and that was after a very negative session with the spirit box outside one of the former patient rooms. But on the other hand, you also have numerous reports of um, doctors, nurses, and folks that worked in those kind of hospitals like x-ray techs that seem to be uh, either returning in visitation or are, are resident there as, as ghosts. And what I find really, really positive and encouraging about that is the fact that we are in a caring profession. In fact, you could make the argument that we are the caring profession, healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, we care for people and we care for people um, even when we don't feel like doing it, when we're having a bad day. And so it's a vocation and a calling, I think, rather than just a job. Um, and I like the idea that it appears that many of these spirits are feeling that same calling, that same compassion, that same vocation after they've passed on. I think that's a very encouraging thing. All right, folks. Uh, I think we're going to take our first break here. You are listening to Paratruth Radio right here on the Paratruth Radio Network. We're talking to Richard Essup about his newest book, The World's Most Haunted Hospitals. We will be right back after Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Now, Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Did you know that tigers and domestic cats have some minor similarities? According to OneKind.org, tigers can purr just like their domesticated relatives. However, unlike your common household cat, tigers can only purr while exhaling, where domesticated cats can purr while either exhaling or inhaling.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, folks. Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And we've been talking to Richard Estep about his book, The World's Most Haunted Hospitals. Now, Richard, uh, one thing that you were talking about uh, just before the break was the the balance between good and bad, quote-unquote good, <laughs> and bad hauntings. Um, now, I work in a nursing home, and a, a lot of times the, a lot of nursing homes are set up kind of like hospitals. Uh, did you ever come across any shut-down nursing homes or anything like that that came up as as haunted? Well, firstly, let me say uh, thank you uh, for the work that you do because the care of the elderly is something that is um, very much undervalued here in the U.S. and the Western world in general. I agree. And I, and I think that when it's done well, as it ought to be, um, I have absolute respect for the, the men and women that do that. So, so thank you for your service. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, again, to come back to the same case, uh, I didn't go on any... Um, former nursing homes, but Asylum 49 is co-joined with an active nursing home right now. Oh, wow. In fact, yeah, you might have seen the episode of Ghost Adventures, in fact, where um, the team went to Asylum 49 uh, and spoke with some of the nurses and some of the staff there. Now, they're actually moving to another facility next year. Uh, and then the entire property will be the, the old hospital that will be taken over by the, the haunted house attraction. But as it stands right now, uh, it's still an active nursing home in the back part of the building. And although they're joined by uh, a doorway, uh, never the twain shall meet, if you will. They're kept very, very separate from one another. Yeah. Um, nursing homes are, well, I mean, as you'll know, I think there are, you get an interesting energy in there. Yeah. Don't you? And you get people that are at the end of lives that are often long and well lived. And I think also you, you get uh, people that are, that are in there that are perhaps reflecting upon uh, the, the duration of their lives and, and thinking about that kind of stuff. And I think a certain energy comes with that too. Right. Well, uh, the reason I asked too is because when our facility first opened, because I started only a month or two after the facility opened, uh, we actually had a guy who died. He was uh, um, he was on on the building crew. I think he was the foreman uh, of a heart attack, and we ended up having this shadow person in our dry storage room in the kitchen, uh, just kind of darting back and forth. And there's been numerous times that I've been working. I work uh, in the kitchen, and I'm a kitchen manager there. Uh, when we first, when I first started, there was a lady that passed away. I heard my name called, and then I went to go see what it was. And a flowery white dress walked around the corner in the back. I followed. Nobody there. So it's interesting, you know, from an aspect of nursing homes as well. 
that that is an interesting aspect, isn't it? It's fascinating. And and again, when you talk to um, to people that work in those kind of facilities, they do seem to have similar stories. I'm willing to bet that a number of your colleagues have similar experiences or, or experiences in the same vein. I have, yeah, I have heard the stories. <laughs> And they're not all that uncommon. And, and another similar area where you can find this is those that work with palliative care. You know, those those hardy souls that work with people at the end of their life and that, that are actively dying, that are part of that process. They all have a great many experiences also. So I think as a human life winds towards its its natural conclusion, activity like this seems to become more more prevalent. Right. Mm-hmm. I know, Richard, I don't know what your spiritual stance is. But I know you've heard a lot of stories in regards to, you know, just hauntings, whether they're uh, just human hauntings or demonic hauntings. But throughout your research, have you ever come across someone who's spoken more about uh, possible angelic uh, uh, occurrences or, or anything that they've seen that it just can't really be explained as, oh, this is a, you know, a human spirit walking around? So I think, and I mean this with the greatest of respect also, but whether you use words like angelic or demonic, I think they're somewhat loaded terms, but I think we can all agree on what they mean. Um, and if you believe in, in dark entities, negative entities that are not human and never were, then why would you not believe in the polar opposite? Right. You know, um, and, and it seems that many of the faiths from around the world have these similar concepts, don't they? They do. These, yeah, these these seem to be uh, pretty much universal constants that we can mm-hmm. all somewhat agree on. So have I encountered specific instances of those? I think it comes down to how you would choose to label some of those experiences. But I wouldn't say that I have. Um, I have a friend that is a, uh, and this is perhaps a good example, I'm an agnostic myself, although um, I used to say that I was atheist, and then my grandmother wisely pointed out. She said, you know, Richard, God has lightning, and Darwin's got nothing, so be careful. <laughs> so I, I, hedge my, I hedge my bets, and, uh, and I say um, agnostic. But a good friend of mine is a uh, Catholic priest. His name's Father Stephen Wiedner. And I had some paranormal activity in my home over Christmas that was a little bit on the concerning side. Mm-hmm. So I called him up, and I said, you know, I don't like to bring my work home with me, Stephen. This is, uh, this is starting to freak my wife out a little bit, and I'm, I'm less than, uh, than happy with what's going on at home. Can you come in and bless the place? And so he came in, and I happen to be a collector of uh, TV and movie memorabilia. I'm a mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge epic nerd. Um, <laughs> all things Star Wars, all things Hollywood, um, all things genre TV, that is my thing. I think that's something that would connect all three of us, because <laughs> I think we all would be fitting in that particular Outstanding. <laughs> and, and so I go to a great uh, great deal of, of media conventions, you know, like Dragon, mm-hmm. Dragon Con and so forth. And uh, I had gotten my wall a lot of autographed uh, photographs of uh, actors and performers and stuff. And one is the kid that played Damien in The Omen. Oh, wow. And so, my fr- yeah, apparently a lovely kid went into real estate, I believe, uh, his one foray into acting, because how do you top that? Right. <laughs> so it's that, it's that really creepy shot of him standing in the, in the graveyard, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so my friend Stephen is coming in. He, he's doing his blessing ceremony. And <laughs> I just happened to catch him. I wish I had my camera phone handy. Um, I happened to catch him blessing the house just underneath his picture. And I said, Steve, look up. I said, level with me, my friend. Is this the first time you've blessed a house with a picture of the Antichrist, a signed picture of the Antichrist hanging on the wall? <laughs> and, and we had a bit of a laugh about it, but it got us talking afterward about the whole concept of, uh, you know, Christianity is a faith I respect a great deal, but it's not my faith. And he said, you know, Richard, it's not 
about the fact that you believe in this one type of orthodoxy or, or another. It's the it's intent. This is all about intent, you know. And there is goodness in the world, and there is darkness in the world. And we uh, sometimes we use different um, ways of describing it. We look at it from slightly different perspectives, but at the core, it's all very similar. And it's something that I uh, to think that I was hearing that from a, a Catholic priest. It's something that I found very um, was heartening to hear. Okay. So, uh, going through the different places that you had researched for the book itself, uh, was there anyone other than Asylum 49 that really caught your attention? Well, a lot of them did, but in different ways. Uh, a lot of the locations did. Okay. I mean, a good example is uh, Clark Air Base. Uh, I interviewed... Um, uh, one of the members of uh, Ghost Hunters International, my friend Barry Fitzgerald, mm. had investigated the old Clark Air Base. Um, that is where American service personnel that were wounded came back from Vietnam. It was kind of the first stop on their way stateside. And they had this um, air base hospital where they would treat many of these um, poor wounded soldiers and service personnel. You know, And what fascinated me about that case is not just the fact that there are stories of soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines haunting the place. Mm. But but Barry it comes from Ireland, and he is convinced that there is an elemental spirit haunting the the basement, uh, the cellar, if you will, of, of what was the old base hospital. And uh, I asked him about his experience there, and he told me a few things that I did put in the book. And I said, you know, Barry, if I wrote you a check right now, to go spend another night in the basement of the Clark Air Base Hospital, how big would that check have to be? And he said, forget it. There's no amount of money would induce me to, to spend one more night in that place. <laughs> He's a seasoned investigator, too. So, you know, it, it was kind of fascinating to see that, that link of what he says is an old and ancient force, you know. Right. Uh, and to, uh, these kind of entities, elementals, supposedly, if you believe in them anyway, have, have never walked the earth. Um, as, as, as human beings or, or living forms. There's something entirely different and inhuman. So you've got that going on and also the stories of these um, veterans that suffered greatly and were traumatized both emotionally and physically. Right. So I found that confluence of the, the relatively new and the, uh, the old or ancient fascinating. You know, it's actually interesting that you that you mentioned that he's a veteran uh, in regards to the, uh, geez, sorry, veteran investigator, and yet he doesn't want to go back and investigate this place. And that kind of ties into you had mentioned Ghost Hunt uh, Adventures earlier. Uh, Zach Bagans, you know, a couple of years ago, he bought a home that he deems the Demon House. Um, it was just a house that was supposedly possessed by a bunch of demons. He wanted to go in there uh, and do an investigation and eventually clear it out and so on and so forth. He bought it at a very low price. But as they were in there investigating uh, and filming, things got really bad. And he actually had to get the entire team and the entire crew out of the house. And he hadn't gone back for a long time. And as far as I know, he hasn't been back in a while. Um and it's interesting because he is what I would consider a pretty strong veteran uh, investigator. He, he goes into some of the darkest places, or what we consider dark places, and stays for the entire night, you know, sometimes completely alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's interesting that some of these spirits can be so dark or so, uh, you know, evil and whatnot that, yeah, you know, people who 
who tend to live in the dark in, in, in such cases as most of us investigators do in a literal sense um, would be too afraid because of some spirit that 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 is in there either roaming the place or just has full control of the place. Um, well, I, I think it's 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 worth mentioning that, um, and I agree with you, but. Just because one is, is is seasoned or experienced as a veteran in, in whatever their their calling or profession is, it doesn't make you bulletproof or invincible. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that we we often have that blind spot. And I can tell you that I investigated the paranormal for uh, twenty years before I started to get anything concerning happen to me personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd heard many stories over the years. Now, be honest with you, I kind of scoffed at them, uh, right. but I'd heard stories of people saying, you know, you need to. Uh, envision a white field of energy around yourself and you need to make sure that nothing can follow you home and my response was pretty much yeah right even after I'd heard stories from people I work with uh, after one investigation my friends Randy and Robin for example we investigated a haunted um, Italian restaurant and uh, they went home after what I thought was a very active night and called me the next day and said hey our bedroom doors both when we got home this morning had just crawled into bed at sunrise slammed violently open against the frames oh well, you know, <laughs> um, and, and so I always believe the stories, but there's a very kind of blase attitude of, hey, it's not going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is something I think that affects us in any walk of life. Uh, a very quick example is that uh, as a paramedic about four or five years ago, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night drenched in sweat with epigastric pain. It was it was like indigestion above my, my navel. Okay. Now, I can tell you that as a clinical educator, this is a classic sign of a heart attack. Okay. What did I do? Wrote it off as indigestion. Went back mm-hmm. to sleep. I ended up waking up again. The pain is worse. What do I do this time? I call a friend of mine who's a paramedic, and I say, let me give you a hypothetical. <laughs> and, and thankfully, my friend Dave said, Richard, you're being an idiot. This could be a heart attack. Either call an ambulance or get to the hospital, but do it now. You know, and I think we all have this built-in kind of perception that we study things from the outside, we treat things, we take care of things, uh, and it doesn't happen to us. You know, we, we right. do it externally as outsiders, and that works great until it comes and takes up residence um, in your own life. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder if that's what happened to Zach Bagans and, and his his demon house, which he's had demolished, hasn't he? Yeah, I believe so. I believe, yeah. yeah, they announced yeah. that not too long ago, actually. Um, and it's it's funny that uh, you bring that up because I I've brought this up a couple of times on our show uh, as well as just talking to other people. Uh, Eric and I had been a part of an investigation, the first investigation of Jeffrey Dahmer's family home, uh, and we were not seasoned investigators. And I have I don't know what followed me home, but uh, I was leaving Eric's house and uh, I got to my car and I heard something say um, say something. I, I think it said my name or whatever. It was a very deep, dark, growling voice and I said you know what? Get out of here. I don't want you here. You know, the investigation is over. Go away. And yeah. I heard it's a goodbye, Justin, and that was it. And that's an undeniably intelligent entity there, isn't it? Something that's interactive, dynamic, and communicating with you. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, I have to ask, because you, you said it, it took almost 20 years before something personal had happened to you uh, in, in regards to uh, spiritual contact. Why do you think it took so long for you to really witness something personal? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I can tell you that this began happening at Christmas of last year, so this would have been Christmas 2015. Um, and, and 2015 was a year in which I was able to visit some very haunted locations. I was able to check a number of items off my bucket list. Okay. So I do wonder if it may have been that. I mean, that was the year that I visited Waverly Hills. That was the year that I visited Bobby Mackey's Music World in Wilder, Kentucky, mm. uh, a case which I think most of your listeners will be very familiar with. That's oh, one yeah. of the pla- Yeah, the, the only place that the Ghost Adventures guys will not visit again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> other than Nick, who has. Um, which is actually surprising. Sorry to cut you off there. No, no, no. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, so there was that place. And then I'd also been fortunate enough to visit places like the Cripple Creek Jail, which was mm-hmm. a, a very interesting location. My doppelganger was seen there by a member of the team. Wow. So, and uh, I'd visited uh, some hospitals for uh, World's Most Haunted Hospitals too, because I'd been immersed in writing that book. So I think part of it was because I'd traveled to so many um, haunted locations, and I think the other part of it may have been that my brain was living more and more in that world as I was crafting um, the three paranormal books that I wrote in 2015. I think my mindset was more focused on the paranormal, and I've heard it said before that after you take an interest in the paranormal, after a while, it will take an interest in you right back. <laughs> and it may well be a case of that. Well, I think all of us can attest to that particular statement. <laughs> so uh, it, I've become a little more careful since. Oh, I, I, oh, I yeah. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Doing doing the book, uh, and since you have to do a part two of the book, uh, was there any cases that you came across? Because you had said earlier that you know a lot of these places are uh, well known for their cruelty or or bad things happening to patients. Um, did you ever come across anything where people were say? Uh, having a seance or using a Ouija board or anything like that that after after the hospital had had uh, closed down to to try and contact these entities and if if so did anything happen so um I mean I, I should say too that I'm not doing a sequel to the book although uh, at least not yet but what what has happened just as an aside is that since the book came out I've been getting a lot of emails from patients who want to relate their encounters in, in the hospitals around the world. Mm-hmm. So people are talking uh, to me about, hey, uh, enjoyed the book. Let me tell you what happened when I was um, going to have my gallbladder out or my appendix taken out, you know, or something like that, or when my mom was dying. So that's kind of been fascinating to to hear. Uh, Ouija boards and things like that, you know, I, I was always given to believe that it was a dangerous tool to use. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I steered away from it. I'd say for about the first 18 years of my career, I'd steered away from it. But now I've begun to wonder, is it any more dangerous than, say, using a spirit box? I mean, it, right. still, is, it still is a medium of communication. Um, there, there is that potential, I think, of attracting certain negative energies to you. But why won't an SB11 do that or an SB7 spirit box? Right. And, in fact, that's exactly what happened to us in one of our investigations. It wasn't a Ouija board. We hadn't used one. It was a spirit box that seemed to bring in something negative. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you bring that so, up. So uh, the yeah. last few case, 
Yeah, I think a, I think a, a doorway is a doorway is a doorway, whether it's digital or you know a little more old fashioned and tried and trusted. But again, I think a lot of it comes back to intent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I hadn't used any in any of the hospitals in the book. I had used one when I spent a week. Um, Staying locked in Britain's oldest witch's prison, the cage. That was back in February. And we got some very interesting results there with that. Hmm. So it's something now I'm a little more comfortable adding to my repertoire of tools. Um, but with the caveat that now I've gotten a lot more serious about um, protecting myself spiritually. Okay. Yeah, it, it is interesting that, you know, that you had brought that up because I know Justin and I, whenever we're talking about uh, investigations, we're always reminding people how dangerous it can be just just naturally asking questions. And I know for – there's a bunch of different ways to do investigations. People all around the world do them differently. And Justin and I, we used to ask questions all the time. We used to use the spirit box and so on and so forth. Uh Lately and nowadays, we don't do that. We, we don't even ask questions. Our investigations these days are simply going in, taking pictures, uh, running an EV, you know, a, uh, uh, voice recorder as him and I talk or, you know, we talk with someone else. We don't directly, uh, speak with or, or ask questions of the spirits because we don't want to open those doors. And, uh, you know, being Christian myself now, uh, since 2009, my view and, and my way of investigating has changed significantly. Uh, not to say that, you know, people can't go out and, and investigate any way that they want, but um, th- there is a certain danger to, to anything that you do when it comes to investigating. Yep. Uh, and something as simple as just writing down a question on a piece of paper, you know, you're still asking a question of something. Uh, and that in itself is still a door that can possibly be opened, which is really a scary thing. And I think a lot of people these days, they kind of brand things as different levels of, uh, I don't know how to, how to word it, but like different, different levels of possibility when it comes to, you know, talking to the dead. People won't do a seance because it's too scary, but they'll, they'll mess with a Ouija board. People won't mess with a Ouija board because that's too harsh and too dangerous, but they'll ask questions. And it's, you know, what they're not realizing is, as you said, as you said, Richard, a door is a door is a door. And that's something I think that needs to be uh, specified, at least for the new and upcoming investigators that really don't know much about investigating yet. I think you raised some excellent points there, and I'd like to expand on a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the, the first thing is, this is one of my pet subjects, but um, there really aren't experts in this field. Um, right. Although you don't have to look far to find people that will proclaim themselves as experts. The truth is that we're all literally and figuratively in the dark on this. We're all... Um, Trying to figure out what's going on with this range of th- this range of phenomena that we call paranormal activity or ghosts or whatever you want to label it, you know. Right. Um, and we know that it's it's not one single thing; it's a spectrum. Some of this stuff is no more um, interactive than the the DVD that I'm watching on my TV screen, and some of it is a consciousness that is able to directly answer questions. And you get different levels in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that when we start thinking about that. Are there inherent risks to this? You don't have to, again, look far to find stories that are pretty spine-chilling, you know, of people that have had some very negative experiences. But at the same time, 
this phenomena takes place on a very regular basis. It's as old as human recorded history. I think our first ghost stories come from the Greeks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and with every generation, there have been pioneers, right? There have always been those people that are willing to, to step forward and ask questions, whether they're using a Ouija board or an electronic device, that will right. go to these locations. Um, and I think the key is to be respectful. I don't believe in provocation. Uh, but, but I think the key is to keep a good kind of even keel spiritually, have the intent of, hey, we're trying to learn. You know, if there are spirits here that uh, are capable of being helped, we're, we, we'd like to do that. Have good motives um, as opposed to simply being a thrill seeker right. that thinks this is something really, really cool and you'd like to get a few scares on a Saturday night. Right. You know, right. not that not that there's Absolutely. anything wrong with getting a few scares on a Saturday night, but that's what horror movies and roller coasters are for. Right. You know, yeah. oh yeah. So I think this is a serious field of, of endeavor, and I think if you approach it with a degree of respect, I do I do believe genuinely that it mitigates some, not all, but some of the the hazards that accompany it. Mm-hmm. Again, agree, I completely uh, and one hundred percent want to thank you for voicing that opinion as well because there are numerous people that are still provoking and you know Eric and I have said in numerous times you are not the one living there and you are not the one doing business in these places so please stop provoking these things you don't have to be there after you leave you know I, I just heard those very words from a friend of mine who is a tour guide at Bobby Mackey's um, and my night with my team at Bobby Mackey's was one of the most quiet nights you could, I've ever spent on an investigation. And, and having um, heard so many literally horror stories about that place, I had gone in and I was almost, I was pretty nervous. You know, mm-hmm. I'd heard I'd heard the, the stories, of course, apocryphal about there being a, a portal to hell or gateway to hell in the basement or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Um, now, I, I, I absolutely trust the team that investigates there. They've got some great um, evidence and some exceptional stories. The thing about it is, though, we went in and, and we got nothing and we had provoked. And so I was chatting to her just recently. She was being interviewed for a book I'm writing about paranormal investigators and, and focusing on their work. And she said, you know, the teams that have trouble here are the ones that come in and provoke. They'll bring in Bibles. In fact, they'll bring in stacks of Bibles and then they'll get into trouble. We see physical violence. We've seen people had their hair yanked, been slapped, and it is almost invariably the people that come in with an attitude of, you know, show me what you've got, this disrespectful, perform for me, you know? And really, who are we to, to request any spirit perform for us? Right. This is not a circus. So the, the rule of thumb that I like to use is that I treat any discarnate entities that might be there um, as though I'm a guest in their house. And, and it seems to work pretty well. And following that uh, out to its logical conclusion, for example, I've investigated a number of jails in my career, you know. Mm-hmm. Nobody in their right mind walks into a jail, a real one, with real uh, inmates and starts po- uh, poking that particular bear, correct? <laughs> right. So why would you do it if they're dead? <laughs> right. It makes absolutely no sense at all. And so you, yeah, you may get less spectacular results, but on the other side of the coin, I think in the long run, you have a better chance of, of kind of maintaining that even keel and doing good, serious, valuable research. Right. And you can't do good research if you are fleeing the place because one of your people just got smacked. Right. Absolutely. 
Well, folks, we are currently speaking with Richard Estep, the author of The World's Most Haunted Hospitals. We will be right back after this short break and Justin's Paranormal Headlines. And now, Paratruth Radio's Paranormal Headlines. How's it going, Parafans? Justin here with your Paranormal Headlines. And these headlines are from AlteredDimensions.net. Sixteen years later, bodies of long-missing climber and his photographer found encased in icy glacier. On October 5th, 1999, world-class climber Alex Lowe and his cameraman David Bridges were scouting a location for his next climb when they were caught in an avalanche on a Tibetan mountain and swept away by the rushing wave of rocks, ice, and snow. Fellow hikers and emergency personnel searched for the pair but never found them. Sixteen years have passed when last Wednesday... Two climbers were on the south face of Chichipengma when they came across the frozen remains of two people encased in crystal clear blue ice. According to the official statement, the climbers described coming across two people that were beginning to emerge from the glacier. The climbers described the clothing and pack on the bodies, leading authorities to conclude that the two were undoubtedly David Bridges and Alex Lowe. According to family members, Alex and David vanished, were captured and frozen in time. Sixteen years of life has been lived, and now they are found. We are thankful. Area 51, up in smoke. Photos of huge fire and roiling smoke at top-secret military base. A couple visiting Area 51 captured photographic evidence of a remarkable fire that has locals and nearby Las Vegas residents worried about what might have gone up in smoke and spread through the air at the top-secret military base. The man recalled noting several rolling plumes of smoke as they approached the final gate leading into Area 51. Really weird smoke over there. What could be going on? The couple pulled to the side of the road where other cars were parked, watching the smoking fire. Within minutes, the infamous white truck security team came to the scene and blocked the road leading towards the fire. The couple filmed the event in 2012, but feared retribution if they published the video. They uploaded the video to YouTube this week. And this has been Justin with your Paranormal Headlines. This was a segment of Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. What's up, folks? Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we are talking with Richard Estep, the author of The World's Most Haunted Hospitals. Uh, Richard, we are, unfortunately, at the end of the show here. Um, but before we let you go, what we would like to do is give you a second chance to go ahead and let everyone know where they can find you and your book. And if you'd like to promote any upcoming works that you have coming out or anything like that, feel free to do that. Thanks very much. So I would love it if your uh, listeners would come 
and visit me online at my uh, internet home. That's www.richardestep.net. Um, and I'd love to tell you that uh, 10% of my royalties from the world's most haunted hospitals are being donated to the St. Baldrick's Foundation for Pediatric Cancer. That's awesome. Uh, uh, yeah. That's really awesome. Um, my next uh, book will be out on August the 22nd, and it's co-written with a lady called Cami Anderson, and it's entitled The Haunting of Asylum 49. So if you've enjoyed the uh, the tale of Asylum 49 in World's Most Haunted Hospitals, you can go behind the scenes and get the full story with that particular book. Sweet. Great. Well, once that new book comes out, uh, we will definitely be in touch again and uh, maybe have both you and your co-author on uh, to talk about Asylum 49. Uh, but until then, uh, have a good night, and we will talk again soon. Be delighted. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great evening. You too. You too. Good night. All right. Good night. All right, folks. That was Richard Estep, the author of The World's Most Haunted Hospitals. This is like ghost month for us, it seems. You know, we've been speaking of ghosts, which is good for all of our our listeners who have been uh, hitting us up on Facebook and email asking for more ghost stuff. Right. So uh, if you're enjoying this, as I hope you all are, please let us know. If you don't. We know you are. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> but we, um, we will get the hate mail on occasion. But you know, if you, if you don't have haters, you're not doing your job properly. So this is true. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but another show done and over and gone. But please feel free to listen to it as many times as you want. And of course, always check out our past episodes and our future episodes that will be in about another seven days. Um, If you guys didn't catch us uh, on Wednesday, we or I'm sorry, on Tuesday, uh, we were on uh, the Malliard Report with Jim Malliard. So definitely go check out the the podcast after you're done listening to this show, of course. Don't just stop the show and move on. No. Uh, (laughs) So definitely check that out. Uh, That's a quick way to lose hosts. And uh, also check out Jerry's newest episode that was on Wednesday as well. And uh, glad Jerry's back. She has started doing her show once again, Tag Girl for God Radio, mm-hmm. right here on the Paratruth Radio Network. Uh, I think that's about it for the world's most haunted hospitals. Did you have any announcements before we leave? The only announcement that I can officially make is that the revealed is officially officially it is i just made up a new word it is officially that's officially finished folks so yeah the revealed is officially and uh it's been great it has been a great process uh the last literally almost the last year it's been what eight months Nine months, something like that, almost. Um, a long time, it, man. I don't know the exact time, you know, time frame. Started writing the script back in uh, December, January of two, December of 2015. January, wait, no, that doesn't make sense. January 2015. Yes, um, <clears throat> started writing in January 2015. Uh, had it squared away by about July of 2015, and started filming in October. Of 2015, and now here we are, May, this May, we'll just say May, uh, 2016, and the film is officially complete. The entire 10 minutes and 
30 seconds or so. It's been completed. I can't wait, folks. I can't wait to get it into the film festivals. I've heard some, I've gotten some good, positive, great reviews for the film. Uh, if you're interested in, hor- in horror, if you're interested in suspense, uh, thrillers, this is the film for you. It's going to be hitting up the festival circuit this summer. Um, if you can make it, I'll be even announcing it here online, on air, uh, but also online via all of our media pages, whether it's uh, PerjuthRadio.com, PTRNetwork.com, Facebook, Twitter, etc., etc. Uh, I'll be letting everybody, everybody know where the film is going to be showing uh, at the festivals. So if you know you happen to be in a general air in the general area in which it's premiering, then feel free to come out and check it out. Uh, chances are I'll probably be there as well, so you can come visit. So yeah. That's the big news for me. <laughs> Anything you'd like to share, Justin? Any news? Oh, not at the moment. No, no big news for me yet. So, <sighs> so in other words, he's pathetic. He I does mean, nothing. That's it's all right. right. No, it's okay. It's all good. You don't need to have news every week. <laughs> I, I wish I did. I, I wish I could say that <laughs> my book was picked up by a major publisher, but uh, it's still out there, guys. Uh, like I said, it, if it does not get picked up, I will publish, uh, self-publish. So stay tuned for all of that and more on Paratruth Radio. Until next week, where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. If you enjoyed this episode of Parachute Radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can listen to them on HD at our website, parachuteradio.com. And you can also find us at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, and YouTube. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for brand new updates of our show every day. We interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!